Great. Well, uh, good evening, guys. My name's JP, and uh, I'm part of the church here, and it's so good, isn't it, to hear all the different things that are going on in, in the life of the church. Uh, when I first heard about that young adult social at um, the Bar 31K, I, I saw it uh, as a Facebook event, and I looked and thought, 31K, it must be some city council event or something, because 31,000 people are going to this event. And my wife, Emma, said to me, that's how you know, JP, that you are not a young adult. <laughs> But uh, God's doing lots of stuff amongst us. It's exciting. It's cool. It's Christmas time. It's, uh, it's also the last one tonight in our disciple-making community series. Uh, that's our vision statement. That's what Jesus has called us to uh, be and to build as a church. And uh, over the last few weeks, um, we've been looking over uh, various uh, elements of what that means. So uh, we, we've looked at we believe, we worship, we encounter, we pray, we welcome, we grow, we give, we serve. Tonight we're looking at we speak, and uh, the eagle-eyed amongst you will have noticed a, a tenth one, uh, which is we send. We actually covered that um, uh, back uh, in early September as we um, sent the uh, Revelation Church Manchester guy, so you can hear a bit more about that on the website. And I suppose what you've seen is a sort of mini reenactment of that tonight. So very kind of Tim and Helen to move to Birmingham just so we could do that in that moment uh, right there and then. But um, tonight is We Speak, and uh, here's how we've defined the value. Jesus commissioned us to spread the good news of his life, death, and resurrection. We fulfill his mission by speaking to people about Jesus and by praying for miraculous signs to accompany us. And as I speak on this topic tonight, I want to preach what I believe is a prophetic or timely message for us as we finish this Disciple Making Community series tonight. And um, I, I want to look at the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 3, uh, verses 8 and 9, uh, verses 7 and 8, sorry. So if you've got a Bible, please turn there, um, or get your phone out and open up the Bible app. Uh, if not, the words are going to come up on the screen. But if you're new to your Bible, the, the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And uh, what, what it depicts is, is the vision that a guy called John had, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, and it depicts the events that are to take place between uh, the, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus back into heaven, between then and between the end of the world where God wraps all things up and we worship him forever, eternally. And so what you find at the start of, uh, of the book of Revelation is Jesus speaking to seven different churches, uh, giving them a, a particular message. And uh, we're looking at one of those churches tonight. Uh, it's a, in a place called Philadelphia, not the one in the States. Uh, it's, uh, it's in Asia. And uh, they were considered to be a relatively small church in, in quite a major city. And here is what Jesus says to them. It says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my words and have not denied my name. And as we look back at 2018, 
and ahead into 2019, it is my conviction that God has set before us an open door. And uh, I I come to that conclusion in three ways. Uh, Firstly, circumstantially, in that it seems that lots of our ministries uh, across the church are ripe for increase. Uh, So we're just finishing off an alpha course exploring the Christian faith. We've got another one coming up next term. Um, Our 12 o'clock service uh, and our social hub food bank are are ripe for increase. There's been some great team development that's gone on there to allow more people to to be part of that. We're just about to release a whole bunch of leaders through our leadership development program. Uh, Grace Enterprises, which is our social enterprise set up to, uh, to give people a second chance in employment. That's just had its first birthday after a really successful year. Our youth and kids teams, they continue to develop their leadership teams to make room for more people, even the finishing of this series. It feels like we are ready to go, circumstantially. But secondly, prophetically, this has been something God's been speaking to us about. And so if you look back over the year, you could uh, pick out moments like when we had Councillor David Mellon uh, come to one of our prayer meetings, and he's the Nottingham City Council portfolio holder uh, for early years in childhood developments. He's a very influential figure in the city. And uh, he came to this prayer meeting, and he said, I I believe I've got a prophetic word for you. Grace Church is to be like a marquee tent, where you're not to put the sides up. You're to have an an open tent, ready for loads of people to come into this tent. And what he didn't know was that was just a few days before Ben's Vision Sunday message, uh, which was from Isaiah 54, 2 and 3, which says, Enlarge the place of your tent. And uh, let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. That was followed up a few months later uh, by a guy called Matt Partridge, who uh, leads a church in Oxford. Uh, Also the dad of one of our wonderful interns, Esme. I don't know if you're here tonight. There she is. She's great, wonderful servant of the church. And, uh, but her dad gave us um, a prophetic word where he said, I believe God is leading you into a new season of increased grace. The areas of the city which have felt off limits to you will open up. That people groups which have felt unreachable will be reached by you. That people who have walked away will return to you. I believe God is leading you into a season of unexpected increase and advance. And this theme of open door has actually been uh, something that's been in our prophetic history for a long, long time. One of the the key and foundational words to us as a church was a a picture of us following Jesus through door after door after door. And as we followed him, the pace got quicker and quicker until he turned around to us and said, I thought you said you were going to keep up. And various times over the year, people have prayed and prophesied into that very word as well. It seems like what God's saying to us prophetically circumstantially, prophetically, but most importantly, I believe God set before us an open door because it says so in the word of God, biblically. And yes, that is an open door of gospel opportunity into Nottingham. I'm going to come on to that. But actually in our passage, an open door, first and foremost, refers to something else. You see, it all starts with Jesus. Verse 7 says, the words of the Holy One, the True One. 
If we take just the things that John has said about Jesus already, we can see that he's the one from whom we receive grace and peace. He's the one who was and who is and who is to come. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. He is the ruler of all of the kings on earth. He's the one who has loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And he's made us to be a kingdom, a kingdom of priests. We all have a role to play in the worshiping community. And he's coming back again. He says, behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. It says he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He's the first and the last and everything in between. It says he's the first and the last, the living one who once died and who now is alive forevermore. This is Jesus. You see, first and foremost, John wants us to appreciate who Jesus is. It goes on to say, he's the one who, uh, this, this is verse 7 still, um, he's the one who has the key of David. That's a bit of a, a strange phrase, isn't it? Well, it, it actually refers back into Old Testament times, so everything before Jesus in the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was a guy who felt God speaking to the people through him, so he was what's called a prophet. And in chapter 22 of this book, Isaiah prophesies uh, to the king of Judah, the people of God at the time, if you like. And he, he, he says that the, the king of Judah has this chief servant in his household, if you like, the kind of main position of service in the king's house. And, Isaiah, and God says through Isaiah that this servant is about to be replaced by this guy called Eliakim. Funny name, but, but just hang on to it for a moment. It literally means the one whom God will raise up. And Isaiah prophesies that when this guy Eliakim comes into position, he will have authority over everything in the king's household. He'll run the staff, he'll run the finances, he'll run the diary. But most important of all, he will control access into the presence of the king. And if you want to glean favor with the king, you will have to go through this guy Eliakim. Now, a few years ago, I was, um, I was at a wedding, and it wasn't in Nottingham, and I could only make the, uh, the evening part of it, so I, I drove down, and um, I was absolutely starving going down because I'd missed dinner, and kind of rocked up at this, um, this wedding reception and went and sat down, and I, I noticed that people on their faces had the kind of glazed, starving look that generally happens at weddings as people are really hungry because the food seems to be ours. You know, I'm sure you can all identify. And uh, as I sat down there, the, the other end of the room... There was this table, and it was full of food. And I was really hungry. And no one was moving. There were plates at the ready. No more food could be put on the table. It was so full. And I thought, well, if no one else is going to have a go, I'll be the one. You know, I'm sure if suddenly we as a room discover that the table is now open, they'll be thankful that I did. So I went up. And uh, we're up to this table, and you know kind of when you're hungry, like the hunger pangs get bigger and bigger and bigger, don't they? And your mouth starts salivating. And I reached out to take a plate, at which point the chief usher steps in front of me and said, I'm really sorry, the buffet's not open yet. And because I'm English, what went through my mind and what came out of my mouth were two entirely separate things. (laughs) 
in my mind, it was like, well, how much more open do you need it to be? There's food, there's plates, there's hungry people, happy days. In my mouth, it's, oh, sorry, just trundled away again. <laughs> but he can do that because he's been given authority by the bride and the groom. And the point in that Isaiah passage is that Eliakim has authority that cannot be undermined or reversed or overcome because the king has granted it. And it says in verse 22 of Isaiah 22, this will come up on the screen, it says, I will place on his shoulder, that's talking about authority, you know, so when it says of Jesus, the government is on his shoulders, it's talking about his authority. I'll place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. That is control of the access to and the activity of all the kings that come from David's line, which ultimately is God's plan of salvation for the nation. It says, he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. But the point of our passage in Revelation 3 is that Jesus holds the keys. Jesus is the better and longer-lasting Eliakim. He forever holds access into the presence of God, into God's salvation plan. And do you know what the best thing is? That he is not there to stop or to check access. He's there to make it happen for us. He's not there to guard the door. He's there to open it for us. The gatekeeper has become our security pass. As uh, Mike prayed out in the worship time, the groom himself has called us to the wedding table and invited us to eat until we are satisfied. I am the door, Jesus said in, in John chapter 10. Anyone who enters by me will be saved. And how do we know that? Because the one door that was shut on Jesus' life three days later was burst open again forevermore. I was at the, um, our 12 o'clock service a few weeks ago. And uh, what happens there is you have a, a short service and then a, a meal afterwards. And I um, had an opportunity to chat to a guy there and uh, as we were chatting, the, the chance came up just to explain the, the hope that we have as Christians as to how we know that we can truly be forgiven. And so he was asking me, well, why can't I just be good enough to get into heaven? Why can't I just do enough good things? And um, there were two uh, empty glasses in front of us. So I took them and I filled them with water. And so I said, you, you drink either of these glasses, right? And he said, yes, I would. And I picked one of them up and I spat in the glass. And I handed it to him, and I said, would you drink this glass? And he said, no, I would not. I said, to a greater or lesser extent, we've all either spat or full-on vomited into our glass. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus swaps the glass around. He said, I've never heard it put like that before. I said, do you know how we know that it's true? Because three days later, he rose back to life and forever burst open the door that the enemy had tried to shut on him. The enemy's efforts smashed to smithereens. You see, before John, the writer of this passage, gets us thinking about the open doors of opportunity into our city, gets us thinking about sharing our faith, 
He wants us first to know that Jesus has forever ensured permanent access and open door into the presence of God. And no one can shut it. Not your circumstances, not the things that you're disappointed about yourself with, no mess-ups, forever it is open because Jesus has taken away our sin and our shame. The one who is already worthy of all praise and all glory and all wisdom and honor and thanks and adoration forever and ever already has completed the most excellent and praiseworthy act in all of history in giving himself for us. Romans 5 puts it like this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ is the one who is the image of the invisible gods, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his being. The one who knew no sin, the totally perfect son of God, Christ died for us. You see, this passage, just like sharing our faith, it all starts with Jesus. And before we think about our commission to tell the world, John wants us to bow down in amazement at who Jesus is. I want to ask you tonight, are you amazed by Jesus? Because we can talk all we like about sharing our faith, but unless we are amazed by Jesus, it's not going anywhere. You know, in, in the Bible, in, in Acts chapter 4, there were two followers of Jesus called Peter and John who got arrested for telling other people about Jesus. They got arrested, they got flogged, and they called, got told never to speak a word about Jesus again to anyone. Do you know what they said? We cannot but help speak of what we've seen and heard. So, such was their amazement at who he was. They couldn't help themselves. It just came out. And so many of our barriers to, to sharing our faith come down to us forgetting the amazement and the awe and the wonder of who Jesus is and who we are as a result. Fear of rejection, fear of losing a friendship, fear of looking silly. Do you know, I find the more amazed I get by Jesus, the quieter those things become and the louder my awe and wonder becomes. I was in a, a cafe in, um, in York a couple of months ago. Uh, my wife Emma went to uni up there, so we've got some friends there. And uh, I had a, a spare couple of hours, so um, I went to this cafe and um, got my tea and my cake and my happy place. And I sat there, and um, I decided to read through the Gospel of Mark. And it's one of the best things that I've done this year. It's absolutely wonderful as you see the ways that the different characters interact with the greatest character of them all. And so I, I was quite overwhelmed, actually, just seeing Jesus' life, and of course, ending with his, um, his death and his resurrection. And so as, I, as the time kind of came to its end and I, I came to pay, the lady in the cafe said to me, oh, have you had a nice time? Probably referring to the cake and the tea. But do you know what? It just came out of me. I, I've been reading about the life of Jesus. It just came out. I couldn't help myself. It just happened. And I got to share with, the, with that lady. I was talking to uh, uh, Joel. Where's Joel Webb? There he is, great man of God. And uh, last week, he's talking about competing in a sports tournament and uh, how the guys were asking him uh, after the tournament was finished, oh, are you going to go out and get drunk with the rest of us? 
And he said, no, I'm not. And uh, why that is, is I'm happy to drink, but I don't want to get drunk because I'm a Christian. He said to me, JP, it was such joy to be able to tell them why that was, because I love Jesus. It's why I love men's prayer. When, we, when the guys gather together on a Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock, we, we get together, we get amazed by Jesus, and come 8 o'clock, I am so ready to go because I'm amazed by Jesus. You see, our worship is the fuel for mission's flame, as the song put it. And if we want to share our faith, then we must first be amazed by our Savior. If we want to share our faith, we must first be amazed by our Savior. Verse 8 moves on. Maybe if we could have verse 8 up, honey. It says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my words and have not denied my name. It's perhaps worth uh, just explaining that. When he says, I know you have but little power, it's not talking about supernatural power. He's talking about influence. They're a small church in a big city. I know you have but little influence. But Jesus is saying to them, well done for keeping my word. Well done for persevering. And because they have, he sets before them this open door. And we've seen that that open door is primarily into the presence of God. But it's also an open door of gospel opportunity into the city. So that's how Paul uses the phrase in the New Testament, for instance. So Colossians 4, for instance, he, he writes the church there, and he says, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. It's worth pointing out that when the Lord opens a door... We are actually meant to go through it. You know, when you, you've, you've seen the last few years, I'm sure, the rising popularity of these escape rooms, you know, sort of around different cities. You've got to do puzzles to get out of rooms. Anyone been to, yeah, lots of, lots of people around the room. How silly would it be if right in the middle, where you're thinking you're going to be trapped there forever, you do this puzzle, the door opens up, and you stand there thinking, how nice. But you just stay there. But no, you're, you're, you're on a mission. You, you know that there's purpose in it. And yet sometimes life can, can be a little bit like that as, as a Christian, can't it? You know, we pray, God, open this door. I wonder how many times his word to us would be, I've already opened it. Come on, let's go through it together. Let's take some steps of faith. Remember who I am. Remember who I've made you. And that open door is meant to be going somewhere. And that somewhere is an expansion of his kingdom throughout the nations of the world that they might know how amazing Jesus is. And that's why we're here. So once we're amazed by our Savior, how do we go through this open door of gospel opportunity that the Lord has set before us? Well, we've, we've lots of programs established as a church. You know, we've referred to Alpha and um, our Tuesday morning stay and play group. Wonderful opportunity. Loads of parents that don't know Jesus come into this building and we get to build relationships with them. So it's about 12 o'clock in our social hub cafe. Each month we get to preach the gospel to 50 prisoners in Nottingham Prison. You know, our, our youth work here, looking to reach an entire generation. 
And there's all sorts of opportunities to be involved in that. There's, there's stuff in, in its early phases as well. We're, we're looking at pressing into some prophetic evangelism. So asking God for words for people on the street and going and telling them. Schools outreach, primary school assemblies. Maybe you've got other ideas too of things you feel God's called you to. But those things are all programs. And we don't reach a city through programs. They are a means, not an end. We make a difference as people by being a witness to the Savior whom we love by showing those that we know and love how incredible it is to know Jesus and what joy he brings to our lives. So I want to introduce to you guys tonight an acronym that you might find helpful in working some of this out. And the acronym is BLESS, so it's each letter of BLESS stands for something. I'll tell you the first one, and then you can guess the rest of them. So the first one is this, be praying, be praying. That is, we must be praying for opportunities to tell people about Jesus and how he's changed our lives. Do you know, I had a bit of an arrow to the heart recently reading the words of James chapter four. You do not have because you do not ask. Oh yeah. And I just began to pray afresh. God, would you give me opportunities to share my faith? And as I did, I found not only did those opportunities open up, but I just felt more ready to spot them. Emma and I had some, um, some friends that we've uh, recently got to know uh, through a, a dad's group that I, I went to. And um, uh, their kids are about to have their birthdays. And so uh, last time we saw them, they're like, oh, you can come to their uh, birthday party if you want. We said, oh, we'd, we'd love to come. And great chance just to build that relationship with them. And it left it that they would send us the details. And they didn't hear from them for weeks. And um, I thought, oh, God, I'd, I need to pray. God, I'd love to be there. I want to get to know these guys. The guy loves football. I want to be his mate. I want to get to know him. And so, so I was like, God, would you get us there at that party? And so, at which point, it just dropped into my mind that we could, in fact, invite them to family carols. Now, I'm sure all of you can see that, and it's really obvious, JP, but to me at the time, it just wasn't. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay, I'm a bit slow. So I, I gave them the invite, and do you know what happens? We'd love to come along. Oh, and by the way, the kids' birthday parties at this time. Be great to have you there. I thought, yes, Jesus, come on. Maybe you don't feel that there's an open door in front of you right now. My encouragement to you is get praying. Get praying. Even if you can't think of specific people, get praying. Our next Alpha course starts in March, which means that now is the time to be praying. Be praying. Okay, L, any guesses on what L might stand for? Love, that's a great shout. It makes me look bad that it's not love, but it's not in fact love. <laughs> Don't say listen either, because that makes me look even worse. <laughs> any others? Look, whoever said look, was it Andy? There you go. Henry was here this morning. He's just lost the points. <laughs> Maybe we should do this in sections. This section's on minus one. Look for opportunities. You know, we've all been there, haven't we, where someone says, oh, why are you a Christian then, or why do you go to church? And you look inside yourself, hoping that this amazingly articulate answer is going to come out, and they will fall to their knees saying, how can I be saved? <laughs> and what comes out is some kind of garbled version that you spend your time thinking, oh, I wish I could answer that question better. You know, and you hear that scripture, and you always be ready to give an answer to the hope to which you've been called. 
But if God is opening a door for us, then there is something on the other side. It's not a door into nothing. It's not a door into an abyss. So the question is, what is it? Or more to the point, who is it? You know, your life is already a witness to the people that you know. In the way that you act, in the things that you do and don't do, in your priorities, in your character, in your generosity. And some of you will know the people that God has put before you. And this passage commends faithful perseverance. So Jesus would say to you in his word, keep going, keep praying, keep looking for those opportunities. But for others of us, we might struggle to articulate who those people are that God's called us to witness to. And Emma and I did a really helpful exercise uh, just recently where we got this big sheet of paper and on it, we decided to write everybody that we know the name of that we see daily, weekly, monthly, and from time to time in four separate categories. And the encouragement of that exercise was that we found there was about three times as many people as we thought. And so we were able to be a bit deliberate about what we do. So we've invited a bunch of people to family carols, arranged a lunch at ours after, and kind of make it a community thing. Some of the parent friends we have where you never get a chance to have a proper conversation because the kids are always running and, and interrupting. We thought, well, let's arrange a meal like loads of months ahead so we can all get babysitters and we can get to own one another. Look, look for opportunities. E, any guesses on E? Win a point for your section. Henry's been here this morning, already established that. E. What do we all love to do? Eat, yes, in the middle. This section is ahead. Eat. I, I read an article recently on the, Go the Gospel Coalition, which is a, a coalition of Bible-loving churches in America. It said that eating with people, either in your home or in your halls or elsewhere, is one of the biggest evangelistic opportunities of the 21st century. Because in societies like ours, which are hugely individualistic, people crave community. And how often have you heard it articulated in the press, massive problems with loneliness when people move to a new city, or people start uni, or people go on maternity leave, or people retire. Your loneliness is a huge problem, and yet the gospel creates community. And we call it the church. And in all its forms of friendships and home groups and hall groups and meal rotors and serving teams and praying together, it's the envy of the world. I was chatting to a mate of mine from one of the morning meetings, and him and his wife had just had some babysitters come round for them, and the babysitters had made cookies for them and brought them round. Absolute glorious. And he was telling his work colleague about this. He said, it just sounds too good to be true. And yet the community of the church is so easily shareable, isn't it? And mine and Emma's experience is that when we've had people in our home or been in others' homes, it's a huge opportunity to get to know people better. For us to get to know them, them to get to know us. And it's quite fun too. Okay, S. We've got two S's to guess. Can anyone guess the first S? Serve. There you go. It's one all between these two sections with one to go. Things are hotting up. Serve. Spend time with people. If we spend time with people, we'll learn how to serve them and how we can go the extra mile for them. 
And what actions can you do that they can't? What favors can you do when they're busy? What cards can you send that indicate that you have remembered something that is hugely important to them? What could your home group do? Huge opportunities for doing people's gardens and blessing communities and serving and uh, doing club outreach and all these sorts of things. And the final S is this. Who's going to get the point? Speak. Wherever that came from, right here. These guys are the winners. Speak. You know, when the opportunity presents itself, we speak. We speak. And uh, we speak from a place of knowing the person and loving the person and them knowing that we love them. I wonder if you could articulate the story of how you became a Christian in 90 seconds or less. I wonder if you could explain it using random objects on the dinner table. Or maybe you could speak an invite. You know, we've got loads of opportunities at the moment with carols, but with all stuff like alpha and home groups and socials and just things that, you're, that we're all doing together, there are loads of opportunities to speak and invite. Because the thing about these five things is that they're not linear. It's sometimes the opportunity to speak might come right early on, and sometimes it may never come. You know, that's why we pray. But there's a parable that Jesus told in Mark chapter 4, which is hugely encouraging. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And he sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. He knows not how. Do you know there is more power in your Jesus-amazed prayer-soaked actions than you know. And in Acts chapter 2, when the apostles were filled with the Spirit, having been commissioned by Jesus to spread the the word all over the world, you know, they didn't instantly get into a massive study on culture or apologetics or tactics or word studies on go, disciples, nations. You know, those things are helpful. They help us to be better at it. But they just went. And because they were amazed by Jesus and filled with the Spirit and prayed to the God who hears, they had power. They had all they needed because they had Jesus. It's an open door that God set before us. I want to encourage us. Let's go through it together as a body. Let's have the band up. That brings us to um, the end of our series. And uh, so as the band are getting ready, I just want to finish with this. How do we continue to build a disciple-making community? Well, we're to be strengthened in the promises of his word as we believe, wowed at his beauty as we worship and encounter him, changed into his likeness and seeing doors open as we pray, living a lifestyle of radical welcome because we too have been welcomed by encouraging one another to grow, to become more like him through the trials of life, by giving our hearts in service to him, time, talent, treasure, because he gave everything for us, by speaking and sending, because he's spoken to us, saved us, and sent us out in his power, by going through the door of opportunity that he set before us, by being amazed by Jesus. Let's stand together.